Well, today I want to dive right in and I want to share a message directly from the heart of God. You've heard me say this before if you've been here any length of time, but the truth is, look, I'm not here to give you my opinion. I'm, I'm no one here in that regard. Today, I want my, my, my job is simply to point, to point to the truth. And here's where we meet, we meet with God in that regard. What do we do with it? What does it lead us to? What decisions do we need to make? What needs to change? Amen? I believe that today what we have here is more than a, what some people might refer to as a church service. No, we don't have a church service, my friends. We have an encounter with God Almighty. We are in the presence of God and in the hearing of his word. Amen? And so today we're going to continue in a series that we've been on over the last several weeks. It's a series that we've entitled Upside Down. And as you saw from the bumper video when we first started coming in, we're talking about the kingdom of God. And what we have been learning is that Jesus did not come into this earth to establish a kingdom that added to our lives. He did not enter into this world and give himself as a sacrifice and rise again from the dead just to forgive sin so that we could continue in old ways of thinking, in old manners of belief. Jesus did not come, for example, to create Jose 2.0. If you think about the words of the Apostle Paul, he says, for I no longer live. It's Christ that now lives in me. He came to replace our lives completely. He came to turn them upside down. Amen? And I would submit to you that that's a good thing because an upgrade on the old life still contains the old life. No good. And so one of the things that we've been looking at, and I won't dig too much into this, but just as a, as a basis, we've been looking at Romans 14, starting at verses 17 and 18, and it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. Right? It's not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, it's not something that is, is comprised of the external. It'll impact the external areas of our lives, but it has, it, it has very little to do with the external. It's not an external experience. Many people look for the kingdom of God in their circumstances. We're looking for the kingdom of God in our issues. And what we fail to realize is that the issue is only an indication of a matter in the heart. And so he has come to turn our worlds upside down. And then the scripture clearly tells us how. It says that the kingdom of God is one of righteousness. And when it talks about righteousness, it's not talking about right actions. It's not talking about behavior modification. My friend, the Bible tells us clearly that we are now, uh, we, we are made after the spirit, not after the flesh. God does not deal with men on external circumstances. He deals with the heart. He renews the mind. He impacts us internally. And that internal experience then transcends into our external lives and produces tangible change. And so this righteousness that it refers to is not a, a right behavior. It's actually a right identity. Right, right. Right? So it's righteousness. It's also peace. And this peace that the scripture refers to is not a, a, a you know, a goosebump experience. No, the Bible tells us that our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. So wherever you go, you carry the truth and the power of this gospel, not just to deliver it, but to walk in peace. So peace is not a matter of the circumstances around us. Peace is a matter of employing, deploying what God has already given us, right? It's a choice, right? 
And then it tells us that the kingdom of God is one of joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's talking about an ongoing, consistent, continual relationship with God. It is the fruit of relationship with God. It's joy. But what I love about verse 18 is that it tells us because anyone who serves Christ in this way, anyone who seeks after God and walks in this way, with this understanding, this is what the kingdom of God is. This is how it functions in our life. This is the impact of it in our world. Anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Do you see how it impacts you personally? But then it impacts your surroundings. It impacts, it impacts your standing in this world. So what we see is that this kingdom of God affords us a new life. And my friend, with this new life comes a new function, comes a new identity. A new identity before God, a new function before God, and it's a new identity and function in this world. Today I want to talk to you from the heart of God, and I pray that you would just lean into the scriptures as we talk on the topic, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. I don't want you to take my word for it. Look at the scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. Go ahead and tell three people you're chosen. You're chosen, you're chosen, you're chosen, you're chosen. You're chosen. Listen, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Go ahead and tell three people you're a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. Listen, go ahead and tell somebody you're a royal priesthood. Listen, what else it says? You are a holy nation. Go ahead and tell three other people. You are a holy nation. A holy nation. My brother, you are a holy nation. You are a holy nation. You are a holy nation. Watch this. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Watch this. Once you were not a people. We didn't even have an identity. But now, now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, according to the scriptures, the kingdom of God is not made up of subjects. Because subjects in a kingdom have no standing. According to the scriptures, the kingdom of God is made up of priests and priestesses. A royal priesthood. Because, listen closely, in God's kingdom, everyone ministers to God. And everyone is called to minister to people. Yeah. Reminds me of a story I once heard uh, called, it's a book actually, called The Prince and the Pauper. Written by a guy named Mark Twain many, many years ago. And I'll give you the short version of it. It's, it's, it's a story of two characters, one named Tom Canty and the other one called Edward Tudor. Tom Canty was a pauper. He was a poor man, a poor young man in England. His life was riddled by poverty. Had nothing, according, if you read the book, his life was, his home life was dysfunction. His father was a drunk. They had nothing. This was the life that he had come to know. But Edward Tudor, on the other hand, was the Prince of Wales. He was the son of the king. And so one day, these two young men come to meet each other. And upon meeting each other, they began to develop a friendship. They would frequent time with one another. 
What was interesting about both of them that made the commonality and the connection so strong was that they both looked almost alike. They were born on the same date. They were of the same age. And so they would get together, and then one day they had this idea. They said, let's switch identities. Let's switch our clothes. And so Edward Tudor goes from Prince of Wales, standing in the kingdom, a king in the making, and he assumes the identity of a pauper. He goes to his home. He lives in his home. He ends up escaping from his home because it's that bad. And he goes through all the, 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 the challenges that Tom had experienced. Tom, on the other hand, becomes the prince. But while he's in the kingdom, and while Edward is assuming the role of a pauper, the way the story goes, the king dies. And when the king dies, Tom finds himself in a situation he never thought he would find himself in. He's declared king. And his coronation is coming. On the other hand, Edward is in the same pickle too. You see, he's never been in this situation. He's never known poverty. He's never known lack. He's never known what it is to not be royalty. And so one day, at the day of coronation, Edward shows up at the palace, who's now acting as a pauper. He's dressed like a pauper. He smells like a pauper. He looks like a pauper. And he says, I'm the king. And they say, ah, that's ridiculous. There's no way you could be the king. Meanwhile, Tom, if you read the story, he was struggling because he didn't know how a king is supposed to act. He didn't know how royalty is supposed to act. But at this day of coronation, everybody is mocking Edward and they're saying, ah, they may look alike, but this is no king at all. And then Edward produces a great seal. This seal was one that only the king could have. He's reestablished. Why do I share that with you? Because the reality is that according to the scriptures, we may be in this world, that we are kingdom people. And in this kingdom, it's sad to say this, there are too many priests living as paupers. Assuming the identity of paupers. We reject the responsibility of this kingdom. We reject our identity. And we subject ourselves to circumstances. We subject ourselves to mindsets. We subject ourselves to experiences. We subject ourselves to the way of this world. My friend, you are no pauper. My friend, you, whether you are here or you are online, you are royalty. Go ahead and tell, tell three people, you are royalty. You are royalty. You are royalty, my brother. You are royalty. You are royalty. Now, I want to read this portion of scripture to you in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, as it is in the Greek. Because, you know, what we read in English, sometimes, you know, some things get lost in translation. The word special doesn't sound really special unless you understand what it means when the scripture says you are God's special possession. So here, hear it in the Greek. It says, but you are elected to the highest office as my offspring. You are a kingly priesthood of the highest order that ministers to God himself. 
a saintly and pure family, God's very own possession, made to declare abroad his virtue with praise, who called you out of obscurity by way of ignorance into the excellence of his truth, which enlightened you with understanding. Listen closely, friend. While there is an order for administration and growth and functionality in the kingdom of God, the truth is that if we take the scripture for what it's actually saying, we all have equal standing. Why? Because we are all ministers in the kingdom of God. Each and every one of us, we are, equal, we are all equally in ministry and responsible to steward what God wants to do here. We're responsible. We all hold the same standing before the king. And I think that that's something that gets easily overlooked. Because we weren't special. Yeah, I'm special in God's possession. I'm blessed. But the reality is, my friend, that I'm no more qualified than you. Because we all hold standing, equal standing before the king. We're all declared ministers that minister to God himself and are called to bring this ministry of the gospel into this world. You are the solution waiting to happen in your home. You are the wisdom. You carry the wisdom that is lacking in your workplace. You are the love that someone does not understand because they've never had someone to truly convey to them the love of God. You, my friend, are anointed of God. You, my friend, are chosen of God. You, my friend, are holy and bring that holiness into this world. You, my friend, are the means by which God diffuses solutions and answers and his very nature into this world. It is you and only you. It is you. It is you. It is you. You are chosen. The scripture gives us example from the life of a man who was royalty, but he rejected his royalty. His name was Mephibosheth. Maybe you've read his story. If you have, just track with me. Follow where I'm going with this, where God is leading us with this. Mephibosheth was born as royalty from a young age. His father was a prince of Israel. His name was uh, Jonathan. His grandfather was the king, a man named Saul. So technically... If his father and his grandfather were to somehow be removed, he had right to claim the throne. He's royalty in the making. He's a king in the making, right? And so one day in battle, both his grandfather and his father die in battle. And the kingdom had been stripped from them. And so in comes a new king called David. Maybe you've heard of him. I don't have time to get into that. But David becomes king. And because David becomes king, uh, Mephibosheth's caretaker, who was caring for him as a young boy, leaves in haste. She hightails it out of Israel because she assumes this new king is going to kill Mephibosheth because he's a threat to his throne. And so she takes off with him. We don't know the particulars, but what we do know is that while she's leaving in haste, Mephibosheth suffers an injury by way of fall. And that fall, for whatever reason, was so extreme, it was so detrimental, it was so impactful to his body that it left him crippled for the rest of his life. 
So she goes off to a distant land called Lodabar. This place, Lodabar, mean, it, 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 uh, it, the name gives, uh, give us, gives us the understanding that this place was a dry and deserted place. Nothing grew there. So I want you to think about this in context. In an agricultural society as it was in those days, where everything relied upon vegetation and animals that fed from the land, this was the pits. This was not where you went. And so she went there to take him into hiding. Years later, the scripture tells us, David was reflecting upon King Saul and Jonathan. And he's moved by a move of God, really, unto kindness and compassion. And he, he, he says unto his royal court, is there anyone left in the family line of King Saul and Jonathan that I might extend kindness to them? The scripture tells us that one of uh, King David's servants, a man named Ziba, Ziba, says to King David, there is one. His name is Mephibosheth, and he's in Lodabar. David sends for Mephibosheth, and when Mephibosheth comes before him, we see the extremity of his disconnection from his identity and his rightful place in the kingdom. Listen to what the scripture says when he finds himself before King David in 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting at verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, do not be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Listen closely to what the scripture says. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Don't miss what just happened here. He is not simply being kind to him. He's treating him as a king. How do we know that? Because he's restoring everything that belonged to a king to this man. Everything. All the lands, all his possessions, all his monies, everything that belonged to King Saul, he is replenishing it, he is restoring it, he is reestablishing him as royalty. You would think that his shoulders would square up, that his head would be held higher. But the opposite is true. In verse 8, it tells us that Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant? What is your servant? That you should notice a dead dog like me. A dead dog like me. If you look at this in the Hebrew, here's what, it, what he actually says. What am I but a slave in your kingdom? I have no standing. I'm not worth what you are bestowing upon me. And when he refers to himself as a dead dog, in the Hebrew, what it actually reveals is that the term was used for a cult male prostitute in pagan practices. It was someone who was misused and abused and discarded. Consider the magnitude of how Mephibosheth saw himself in light of this kingdom. Consider that. And I would ask you, when you consider yourself as a child of God, as a part of his body, his church, as you consider your role in life and the impact that you can make, do you identify as a pauper or as royalty? On which side of this portion of scripture do you land? 
Now's not the time to beat yourself up. Now's the time to wake up and realize, whoa, I'm royalty before God. I'm anointed. I'm chosen. I'm destined to bring impact, to release the kingdom. I am God's means by which heaven touches earth. My friend, you may have come from a dry place. You may have hobbled your way through life up until this point. You may have been counted out and discredited in your worth before others. You may believe your history means your history. But my friend, I tell you that Mephibosheth's story is not a story. It's our story. Because the scripture tells us we were once in darkness. But now we've been brought into the light. You know what I love about this portion of scripture from the life of Mephibosheth? What I love about it is that Mephibosheth was crippled. In those days, if you were crippled, you were useless. You had no standing in life. You were relegated to beg. It was, it was frowned upon as if you were some, somehow sinful, if how some, somehow you were damaged goods. And yet, when Mephibosheth finds himself at the king's table, everybody's on the same level playing field. Why? Because your feet are under the table and you stand before the king at his table declared son, daughter, royal priesthood. Come on and give God some praise. Where you've been, what you've walked through, has no bearing on the king's perspective of you. Child of God, he says you are the head, you are not the tail. Child of God, he says you are above only, you are never beneath. Child of God, you are a leader, you are not a follower. You are impact, you are not impacted by the things of life. And so I believe that the scriptures are useless unless we do more than just reflect upon them. I believe that the scriptures merit us not only reflecting upon them, but actually responding to them. Actually applying something from the scriptures. And so I want you to consider what will you do with the word of God today? How will you apply it to your life? And the first thing that I want you to reflect upon and consider is that the king has called for you. The king has called for you. Not my opinion. God has called you, declared you a royal priesthood. God has called you to be the very means by which he diffuses into this world the aroma of his presence, by which he brings truth and life to dead places. Wow. So let me ask you a question. Just track with me here. Is there anyone in the house today that is in full-time ministry? About, about four of you raised your hands. What do we do with the scripture? Because the scripture declares that we are all ministers unto God. And we are all ministers deployed into this world. My friend, I'm no better than you. 
I may hold a position as a pastor and a teacher, but we're of equal standing. The problem is too many of us are not equally functional. See, Mephibosheth forgot that he was destined to be in the kingdom. Mephibosheth forgot what it was to live under the king. He forgot what kingdom life was about. Unlike him, my friend, you and I must remember that we are all called by God to be in ministry unto God and to be missional about ministry and service to this world. That's our call. That's our standing in this world. Now, lest you think I'm giving you my opinion, I want you to consider what the scripture says in Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11 and 12, and then we're going to look at verse 16. It says, so Christ himself, who did? Christ, right? Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, and many people stop there and go, that's ministry. No. Let me show you ministry. To equip his people for the works of what? Service. So that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. Now watch how this works. Verse 16. From him the what? Whole body is joined and held together by what? Every supporting ligament. Watch this. It grows and it does what? It builds itself up in love. Watch this. As each part does its work. My, can I tell you when the message started today? When you walked in. My friend, you are an extension of the very hand of God. Why are you waiting for somebody to affirm you? or to give you a title. David was a king when he was tending to sheep. You are a royal priesthood. Anointed and chosen, chosen by God. Hmm. See, while my role in this house as pastor and teacher is dictate, it dictates my function to care and tend to God's people and to rightly teach the Holy Scriptures, to rightly do that. My job is not to mature you. My job is not to build you. That's not my job. My job is to equip the body so that the body can take the maturing and building up of the people in the church as our ministry to God and to the world. My job is to point and equip. Don't get the pastor title fooled. Don't get, don't get it twisted. Don't let anybody leverage that title over you. Now, there is an honor. There is a respect. I get that. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. But what I'm saying is, don't miss your calling. Don't miss your calling. Listen, when you show up to work, God shows up. Amen. <laughs> When you go into that home that is in dysfunction, God shows up. When you are amongst the hurting, God shows up. Healing is present. When there's a miracle necessary, it came when you showed up. 
When there's a word in season that's needed, you are there. God showed up. The second point that I want to leave you with here is that maturity comes when we stop making excuses and start making changes. Maturity comes when we stop making excuses and we start making changes. You got you to gotta appreciate this from the life of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth shows up and he has just gotten an upgrade on his life. A completely new life. He shows up before King David and King David says, I'm giving you all the land of your grandfather, King Saul. I'm restoring to you all his servants, all his possessions. I'm giving you it all. And you have a place at the king's table. You know who sat at the table in, in the king, at the king's table? Sons and daughters. He gave him the position of prince in the kingdom. But you see, something had to shift. Something had to change from Mephibosheth. Something had to turn around. They need, some maturity needed to happen there because, you see, this wasn't just a matter of possessions and title. This was a matter of mindset and heart. And what we see up until this point, when he's established back into the kingdom, Mephibosheth did not understand that. He saw himself as someone worth being abused and misused. And what I find interesting is notice that the scripture tells us that David gave him back all that, that belonged to the previous king. And if you read this further in 2 Samuel chapter 9, you'll find that David gives instruction to Ziba and to his entire family. He says, Ziba, you and your family will serve those lands. You will tend to those lands while Mephibosheth eats at my table. You know what that reveals? In kingdom culture, when a king gives you land, it's a land trust. You know what a land trust is for? A land trust is, yes, I designate to you this title. I designate to you this authority. I designate to you this place in my kingdom. I designate to you a place at my table. But I also expect a return from that land. Thus, you can eat from the table. Now get this. That requires maturity. What am I saying with that, my friend? Friend, what I'm saying to you is that God expects a return on your life. God expects a return on your talents. God expects a return on our attitudes, on our mindsets. God expects a return on how we carry on in this life and what we do with this gospel. He expects a return. There is a produce that is to come to the king. And I would submit to you, my friends, in love, that it's time that we save the excuses. Let me actually rephrase that. It's time that we just do away with them, like obliterate them, like execute them, like destroy them, like it no longer has a place in my life. Listen, here's the reality. You know I love you, right? Because I love you, I'm going to speak the truth. It's, a, it's not about having time. It's about making time. It's about making time. Listen closely. How, how many hours do you have in your life, ma'am? How many, how, how many hours are available to you every day? 24. 24. How many hours are available to you, sister? 24. How many hours are available to you? 24. 24. How many hours are available to you every day? 24. How many are available to you, sir? 24. 
Hey, isn't that interesting? We all have the same amount of time. See, it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of will we prioritize what's important with our time. Well, we get past our excuses, past our experiences, past what happened, past whatever it is. See, when what matters to God matters to you, to me, to us, we will make the time. When what matters to God matters to us, we will make the time. We will. Isn't it interesting? Parents, you might appreciate this, right? Grandparents even more so because I'm in that category now, right? Isn't it interesting that when you love, it always leads you to sacrifice? Nothing's off the table. What would this look like? How does this translate into our role and our privilege call as priests and priestesses in the kingdom of God? How should that change our perspective and our approach to it? What needs to change from this point forward? You know, as the priesthood, the priests were always called to serve in the temple. The priests knew where they belonged. They knew what their function was. No matter where they went, they were still priests, and they still carried that mantle and that function wherever they went. See, the priest knows to stay in the place of God. Where you at? You know, they came a day. Now, now look, I get this, man. I, I know why it's quiet. This is challenging. I mean, it's like, come on, what, whatever happened to the grace of God and the love of God and the blessing of God and the goodness of God and, you know, give me God and bless me, Jesus God, right? And good Jesus and kind Jesus, right? And Jesus that feeds me, Jesus, and Jesus that heals me, Jesus. Whatever happened to that? Come on, you make it sound so hard. I, I understand. I get it. Look, this is, this is a call to something so much more than what we think. Thus, the kingdom of God really has come to turn our world upside down. But get this, in, 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 there came a day where people realized, people that were following Jesus, they realized, wait, this whole deal of being a follower of Jesus is more than just listening to him and receiving from him. Wait, this actually means that I got to be all in. I got to be wholehearted. I got to be about this kingdom. I got to get past my excuses. And so here's what started happening. People started making excuses. And in one of those instances, Jesus tells a man, come follow me. And this man was in a very tight situation. Listen to what the scripture says in Matthew 8, verses 21 and 22. It says, another disciple, a disciple, a follower, a learner, a devoted one, a disciple said to him, Lord, what? First, first, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Now, this, this sounds, this goes contrary to give me Jesus. This sounds contrary to blessing Jesus and loving Jesus and, and grace-filled Jesus and healing Jesus. This sounds downright insensitive. But you see, what this man did not understand was 
that his priority wasn't his father. His priority was something that replaced Jesus. It wasn't that he was wrong for wanting to bury his father. But I want you to consider what Jesus called what this man, what Jesus responded to this man's call, what, what he called a legitimate reason to not follow Jesus. What he called a legitimate reason to not follow Jesus, Jesus called a dead thing. You can't change that situation. You can't do anything about that situation. You can't carry that situation. It's dead. It stinketh. And if you carry something around dead long enough, once it starts rotting, if you hold on to it close enough, that will eventually produce infection in your own life. So Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead because I've called you to life. Excuses, they rob us of life. And my friend, it's time we accept our role as followers of Jesus. See, followers of Jesus become leaders in God's kingdom. Only followers grow. Only followers enjoy the kingdom. The last point that I want to leave you with here is that if the kingdom of God is not first, it doesn't matter what's second. If the kingdom of God is not first, it doesn't matter what's second. It doesn't matter. If you just look at Mephibosheth, his aim, his agenda for years in Lodabar was self-preservation. I'm just trying to save my own skin. I'm just trying to live another day above the earth. I'm just trying to make sure I'm surviving. Kind of what life has become for many people. He was in hiding. Unless we judge him, we should consider that we all have priorities. Just like he did. We have priorities, we have responsibilities, we have many things that pull for our attention, require our time, require our presence, require our commitment and devotion. And I would submit to you that there's nothing wrong with responsibilities and priorities and commitment. But there's a, there's a way that it does become wrong. Let me show you that from scripture. We have the example of two sisters, one Mary, the other Martha, and the scripture records that they one day came, they, they one day uh, brought Jesus and his disciples into their home. And while they were there, Mary did what was actually wrong according to the times and the culture. She was in the room with Jesus and his disciples at his feet listening to him. In those days, women weren't even allowed to be in the presence in the place of teaching. They couldn't be there. In Jewish culture, they still do that today. They put a curtain between them. Right? And so Mary's in a place where technically she's not supposed to be. And Martha, Martha's doing what she's supposed to accordingly. She's in the back and she's making preparations. 
She's making preparations for her guests, and she's consumed with preparations. And she gets to the point that she becomes so frustrated, she becomes so overwhelmed that she turns and she goes into the room with Jesus and the disciples. She says, Jesus, tell my sister to come in the back and help me carry this load, do all these things. She's not carrying her load. She's not doing what's most important. Luke 10, 41 and 42, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed or indeed, watch this, only one. Only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. I submit to you, how do we focus on the better thing, that one thing? How do we do that? In a day and age where we are consumed in our attention, in our time, in everything that we do in life, we, we're just pulled in so many directions. How do we do that? And I would say to you that there's nothing wrong with keeping up with responsibilities. Mom, there's nothing wrong. Dad, there's nothing wrong with caring for your children. There's nothing wrong with managing a career, whatever it may be, however that may apply to you. See, Martha wasn't doing anything wrong specifically by tending to her home in preparations for her guests. But here's where she did go wrong. The preparations took the place of the guest. It was no longer about Jesus. It was about the pressure to perform. My friend, God is not into circus acts. And you are not a circus monkey called to perform for him. You are royalty. A minister unto God. A minister deployed into this world. Let's stand here today. Today we've had a divine encounter with God Almighty. God Almighty. We've had the privilege to be in the hearing of his word. And we face a crossroads. You know, the scripture says that we are accountable for what we know to be true. And today we've had a divine encounter with God and we understand our function, our call, our standing before God in his kingdom and in this world. And the crossroads, the decision that needs to be made is, will I now begin to do what the scripture calls me to do? Will I accept that responsibility? We're accountable for that. My friend, stop waiting. The king has already called you. The king has already appointed you. The king has already deployed you. The king has already placed you in a house. He's gifted you for a purpose. I would dare say this. He's placed you here for a divine purpose. He's placed you in your workplace for your divine purpose. Don't ever complain again about your job. It's the opportunity that has been produced through the works of your hands. It is a blessing from God. 
And so today, I believe it's necessary that if we've been stuck in our understanding of what this kingdom is about and our role in it, I think that now's the, now's the time. Today is the day. This moment is a moment recorded in heaven where we make a decision and we say, I'm turning around. I'm turning around. Will you make that decision? Will you turn around today? Heavenly Father, we thank you today that in the hearing of your word, we know you. And Lord, lest we focus on the responsibility, I pray, Lord, that you would enlighten eyes and the understanding of hearts here and online to recognize that you have bestowed upon us a great privilege. You've given us the ability. You've rendered a call. That tells us something, Father. You call us qualified. Today we run to you. We turn to you, Lord. We thank you for your great mercy. We thank you that you took us from darkness and translated us into light in the kingdom of your Son by which you extend to us your love. May we always remember this, Lord. May we never discard our rightful place at your table. Hmm. It's very possible there's someone here. Maybe you're online. As you're joining us today, you've come to a place of revelation where you see that God calls you his special possession. But you have a greater function in life. You have a destiny. But you're useful. And yes, God wants to bless you. And yes, God wants to transform your world. And yes, God wants to bring solutions into your life. And yes, God wants to restore your family. And yes, God wants to heal that marriage. And yes, God wants to bring that wayward child back home. But my friend, it starts with you accepting what God calls you and the call that he's placing before you today. My special possession, my chosen people, my royal priesthood, my holy nation. Will you answer the call? Before you do, it's important that we understand this, that God loves us so much that even when we were in darkness and we had no identity, God saw something worth redeeming, something paying the ultimate price for. He understood that men messed it up. We brought sin into the world. See, sin isn't behavior. Sin is a result of an identity. The behavior is a reflection of an identity. And so God said, because men messed it up and we can't fix it, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll become just like them. I will assume the place of a man. I will subject myself to humanity. And I will die a death to pay the price for sin, even though I never committed it. But then I'm going to rise again, not just to prove that I'm God, but to prove that they can rise too. Friend, if you believe that today, if you accept the high call as a royal priesthood, as a chosen people, as a holy nation, if you feel the embrace of God and today you acknowledge that he now possesses your heart, then you must accept Christ as Lord. And if you're doing that in the house today or you're doing that online, I want you to be bold with us as we close with this prayer. 
I want you to reach out to heaven if you're accepting Christ today. We want to walk alongside you. Look, nobody's judging you. If you're online, please let us know you're making this decision. And for those of you here in the house, please stop by our VIP desk before you leave. We want to connect with you. But let's declare this together, congregation, supporting one another. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you love me so much that you died for my sin and you rose again to prove you are God and to declare that I can rise too. And so today I declare you are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are my God. And from this day forward, I thank you for a brand new life. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.